0: very much, and, and thanks for coming to you also, going through the, uh, through the rain and the, and the weather. Um, I'm just going to um, pass this around. This is a little piece of kit. It's got an iPhone in the back. Um, it's got two lenses, a microphone, and Ooh. as I pass it around, you'll find it's quite a heavy piece of equipment, but, um, but it's quite useful. And the reason it's so heavy is so that when you do panning and holding the phone, you can keep it nice and nice and stable. You can attach lights. Uh, a tripod, um, different lenses, so there's a lot of stuff to <coughs> do with, uh, with mobile phones. In fact, a Korean film director actually made a, a full uh, film recently using just the, just the iPhone. So, so it's a great piece of equipment. just pass that around, How I would mind. How much is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a discount, I'll be selling them outside. When you're <laughs> it's only for iPhones? This, yeah, this, uh, I think you can get them for other, other ones. In fact, this is the iPhone 4. The, the, the iPhone 5 is slightly smaller. It's about 100 US dollars for the, for the, the basic kit. Yeah. So I don't know where it's made. Probably <laughs> Scandinavia. Anyway, so um, I've just come from working in China for, uh, for a few years, at the University of Nottingham, and I was fortunate enough to, to, to sort of get some training in how to use these gadgets um, from an Australian uh, trainer. Um, and they're amazing pieces of equipment because you can uh, you can not only do the basic recording but you can edit using um, several different soundtracks, several different, several different video, you can add in music, you can do subtitles, you can really put together a, a broadcast quality uh, video on-site uh, in real time and upload it you know, as long as you've got some sort of connection um, immediately so the, the potential is obviously uh, uh, very important. So what I'm, I'm going to take you through about four different things today in my half an hour before we, we discuss it. Um, uh, hopefully in more detail. I want to talk a little bit about about how these gizmos have been sort of introduced into more formal journalism. Um, about who's actually using this sort of content. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a study that I've been working on with colleagues in Stirling, which actually looks at um, uh, a study of British broadcasters. Um, and how they've actually been using mobile content, what sort of stories they've been using it for, how, what sort of quantity, uh, where is it coming from, is it being verified, uh, that, sort of, that sort of data. I won't, I won't spend the, the whole uh, of today talking about that, though I could, but I'll, I'll mention a couple of things that, that I think will be of interest. Um, a brief uh, portion of this will be on some of the challenges of, of this particular piece of equipment, um, and then really the, the, the centerpiece of, of the presentation, which is on, on what the, the impact of it is or might be on journalists and on journalism practice. Um and I'll be looking forward to if, if any of you have got experience of, of mobile phones in particular in the workplace I'd love to hear from you because it's uh, it's happening in a lot of different places and at different speeds and it'd be good good to get your experiences or, or knowledge about it. My last slide is a is a slide of resources it, re- it mentions quite a few <laughs> academic papers that I um, that I mentioned in the in the in the seminar is also a how to make videos on a on mobile phone uh, link and a couple of other things as well. So, if you want to follow this up in any way or, or build it into your own research, there's, there's lots of um, uh, references for you to, to have a look at. So uh, a little uh, chat first of all about, about this phenomenon. Um, the, uh, the mobile phone with a with camera capacity was only really uh, brought around in about the mid-1990s. The, the video phone came a couple of years later, and we probably all know by now that, that there are around 6 to 7 billion mobile phones in the world, many of them smartphones. So just about everybody has got them, and it's an interesting facet of that is that they've been incredibly popular in, in the developing world. Um, so the potential in terms of, of sort of a mass access to, to, to stories and to developments is, is evident. But it was really a series of events that took place in the mid-2000s that catapulted this piece of equipment from a, an interesting device into an important uh, item of, of journalistic practice. And that kicked off with the, with the Iraqi invasion in 03, Madrid bombings, the, um, the Bunfield old depot fire in, in Scotland in the mid-2000s, but particularly the tsunami and the London bombings of 2005, when, when the whole field changed. And as Mark Hollins gushed, the very fabric of news coverage has been changed forever as a result of, of this piece of equipment. Let's look briefly at the London bombings. The, the, the interesting thing about this was that the, most of that happened underground. So there was no access for the, for the news crews who arrived um, even fairly soon after the, after the, uh, the, the explosions took place. So a lot of the footage that was available came from people's phones underground. Uh, There's a a, a still taken from one of them there. (coughs) Richard Sandbrook, now at Cardiff, uh, then at the BBC, said within hours the BBC had received 1,000 photographs, 4,000 text messages, 20,000 emails. People were participating, he he writes in in the Nieman uh, uh, website at Harvard. We're participating in our coverage in a way that we had never seen before. By the next day, our main evening TV newscast began with a package edited entirely from video sent in by viewers. From now on, news coverage is a partnership. So there's a real expectation that this piece of equipment was going to have a dramatic impact on, on journalism, broadcasting and others. Whether that came to be true or not is uh, something we'll discuss a little bit later. Of course, he, he talks specifically there about, about user content and there are different kinds of, of mobile phone content produced. The, the user-generated content, or UGC, I'm sure you've, you've come across that. Basically raw and edited, sent in by amateur eyewitnesses. who happen to be there. Um, a, a quite a small group of citizen journalists who, who do occasionally um, get their material onto, onto the major broadcasters and onto different platforms. Um, and then the, the professional journalists, who are also starting to use this piece of equipment, Um, in different ways, and as I mentioned earlier, you're able to shoot the pictures, do interviews, um, add sound, music, subtitles, narratives, um, and and really produce on the spot uh, quite an interesting um, piece of work which is uh, instantly uploadable as well. Um, And and this is generally referred to as a mojo, a mobile journalist, though there are other, other ways of describing them, sojo being one solo journalist, Multimedia journalist is, is another. I don't, won't talk here about the use of mobile phones as a, as a way of distributing or watching content. That's another another story, and there is a lot of work going on about that. So we won't go there now. Um, we can talk about that later if you like. But I'm, I'm really going to focus on on the production um, of content rather than on its on its consumption for today's purposes. Just a, a brief. Um, slide about about some of the possibilities and you all have a sense, I mean, I don't know how many mobile phones there are here, but there are probably quite a few, all different. Um, they've got different apps on them um, and it's an indication there of the complexity of the market in a sense. Uh, I find in, in journalism it's mostly iPhone and Android that are that are adapted and are, are available to, to be used. There's a whole series of apps um, including Tout which is used by um, uh, some of the newspapers, I'll talk about Tauth again in a minute, Filmic Pro, um, iMovie is quite useful. Bodio is, is a program that I teach to my journalism students up in Sterling, um, which is quite a nice little uh, video-making uh, package. iMovie is also quite useful. Um, often a difference in the app is the length of time. Um, Vine, for instance, is only a very short, um, very short time period, whereas something like Bambooza, you just carries on as long as, you're, as long as you've got some battery life. And there's quite a uh, a big range of platforms as well. So lots of different kinds of equipment, lots of different apps, um, lots of different possibilities. Who is using mobile phones for journalistic purposes? There are a number of pilot projects that that have been launched. Um, Al Jazeera was was one of the first. They have a mobile media unit. Uh, Reuters had a partnership with Nokia and have done a, a series of field tests in different parts of the world. I believe that the the journalist fellows went down to the BBC recently and, and popped into the UGC hub down there. That's been going for a few years now, really since after the London bombings and around 2005. And together with the CNN's iReporter are, are sort of major platforms for uh, you know for taking in uh, content of this kind. By 2010, CNN had hosted more than 200,000 news videos generated by non-professionals for its iReporter platform. So there's clearly a... An appetite there for, for content to be used, uh, in particular, by the broadcasters. But it's not just the broadcasters. In fact, of anything, and we'll we'll talk more about this in a minute. It's the uh, the former legacy media industries, the what used to be known as print, formerly known as print. Um, these organisations are quite commonly taking up uh, mobile phone uh, as a as a tool for their journalists, uh, and and there are a number of uh, publications and and. Uh, Companies around the world who are doing that now, uh, to quite some degree. The Wall Street Journal, um, for instance, has plans to train up to 2,000 of its journalists to use um, its smartphones. They have their own specialist, um, customised app, which is a, a form of Tout, um, which I mentioned earlier, which they use. Um, have a look at WorldStream. There is a, a link to that in the, the last slide that I, that I mentioned. Um, the Guardian were, as usual, in the tech front. Were at the at the cutting edge of of this kind of training. New York Times, the Hearst Group, they've all been doing uh, journalistic (coughs) training. According to the American Journalism Review, and you'll find reference to that too at the end, um, news video has been around for six or seven years, but in the past 18 months has shifted from a trend to a near stampede. Um, Newspapers around the world are embracing the growth of online video to engage their audience, expand their web presence and create new revenue opportunities, according to a, a company uh, marketing training in that, um, in that area. So there's a lot of interest. It's happening in a lot of different places, especially in the US, in Scandinavia, um, and, uh, and in different parts around the world. It's quite uneven in its pace, but uh, there's clearly a great interest in, in the possibilities of, of this new technology uh, and its link with journalism. I want to just briefly tell you about a project that I'm working on which is really to to track the use of mobile phone content in different journalistic um, activities. What I'm going to talk to you today is a a study um, of uh, of BBC broadcasting and the extent to which they are using or not using um, mobile phone footage. We looked at um, uh, the BBC, Channel 4, ITV News over six months, um, looking at uh, uh, bulletins and, and measuring how much content they were using, what they were using it for, what sort of subjects it was it was illustrating, uh, compared that to other kinds of video and to studio time and so on so there's a lot of, a lot of data there and i won 't go into all of it but what I do want to do just briefly if I can is just show you a little bit of a clip, which was from our, our, our sample group um, and and it was quite uh, um, An extended use of mobile phone footage I just wanted to to show you that briefly if I can
1: a warning some of the images in this report may prove disturbing Parago Brown reports a bloody tour through the aftermath of the hostage crisis this footage was probably taken by Algerian security services and it shows the mechanics of terror the hostage takers four by fours, some painted like staff cars, some military clothing, a megaphone. Then to the compound, an insider had given kidnappers the chalet numbers of foreign workers. They went to those numbers and started shooting the people inside. Their belongings scattered everywhere. Then you realize that under the bedding, the bodies, the voice of the person filled Who is it? Is he Algerian? No, he is a foreigner. What was it like in here, listening to the shots, waiting to see whether your door would open? Beside a bloody footstep, passport photos. We can't show you the face, because we don't know whether he was lucky or not. There are now nearly 40 hostages confirmed dead, most of them foreigners. There are five foreign hostages unaccounted for. There were also the lucky ones, the French cook who hid under a bed for two days, the three British workers hiding in the ceiling who survived. Other mobile phone footage has also emerged, which purports to be the scene before the Algerians moved in while the crisis was live. According to one news website, this shows the jihadi militants, their hostages huddled together in groups around the tankers. After the army moved in, a bloody battle. And then this. A free hostage, probably Algerian, filming what the road home looks like. Parker Brown reporting. When I hear the National Security Council met... Right, OK.
0: So that was unusual uh, for the sample, that such a large, long stretch of uh, mobile phone footage was used. And a couple of things to note about it. Um, One is that the quality was very poor. Um, but as it turns out, that doesn't really matter. And in fact of anything, um, there's a sort of aesthetic of, of authenticity that, that takes place. It's, it's more real in a sense. The viewers don't mind that the quality is poor because it, it, it relates to the reality and the, the truth of the, of the, the piece being, um, being represented. Secondly, the sound is very poor. And that's a real challenge with, with this equipment, just to get the sound right. If there's any, even though it comes with microphones, um, if there's any background noise or uh, uh, anything else going on, it makes it very difficult to get a good, good quality sound. And, it's, and, and part of the, the answer of that is you've got to get really close to people. Most of these phones, they don't have a, a reliable uh, Zoom function that you can use while you're interviewing. So, so when you're using a mobile phone in the field, you've got to stand two feet away from people, and that has advantages and disadvantages. Um, thirdly, you, you'll see that a couple of those were, um, were signalled as amateur video. Now, in in the work that we've been doing, very little of the mobile phone footage is actually uh, credited. Um, More often than not, it's just used. Sometimes the anchor will say something about the the material. Mostly they won't. Um, Even the YouTube stuff that gets used quite frequently is very rarely um, sourced. So um, the sourcing is is an issue. uh, the quality, the sound, and and also verification, and we'll talk about verification again in a minute. So just a couple of, of um, sort of pointers from that particular piece. So this is the study, and that's the kind of stuff that we were looking for. Also, it, it was because it's not sourced properly. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether something is a mobile phone or is or is some other piece of equipment. And and as uh, as the researchers we had to try and come up with a way of or different ways of trying to identify which equipment was actually being used and and we we came up with that and I won't go into huge detail on that now but um, if there was for example other people in the shot who had professional video cameras on their shoulder it was unlikely that um, that a mobile phone was being used for that particular piece of footage if on the other hand all you saw was people holding their phones up that was a fairly good indication that those were the only people who were there and therefore it was more likely to be mobile phone footage. We tend to err on the side of of assuming that everything that looked amateur or dodgy, was there was a good chance it was mobile phone footage, so we included it in the sample. It's probably overstated looking back. So um, one of the things we did look at, this is a little bit small for you, I know, but but, um, it's OK, is we looked at the kind of stories that mobile phone footage was actually being used for. Uh, this is the BBC, and you can see that the, the, the top black column up here is violence and conflict, and the second biggest one is crime. So, mainly used for violence and crime. Um, now, this is something that academics have been talking about for quite a while, whether um, news reportage um, has been overemphasizing violence and crime in our, in our sort of political lives, if you like. Uh, and there was a recent uh, study done by Akiba Cohen, looking at international news coverage and uh, finding that, firstly, that world, around the world international coverage is dropping little by little every year, and secondly, that there continues to be this very strong emphasis on, on coverage of violence and conflict, particularly when it's about violence and conflict happening in somebody else's country. So the question I want to ask then is, th- does this new technology, these mobile phones, are they playing into the same patterns, um, possibly even making them worse? or is it an opportunity now to sort of address the balance and to use new technology for new, new subject matter? So that's the BBC's. It's not quite as, as obvious with, with ITV. Still, violence and crime are, are two of the three biggest. Um, they had quite uh, uh, an emphasis on, on uh, programming that was, that was UK-specific, so domestic stories, um, often using, for instance, YouTube. To, uh, to illustrate particular stories, um, and also some international stuff, but still quite a strong emphasis, um, and I think surprisingly so on, on violence and conflict, and um, and on crime. I mean, maybe you would have thought that with the tsunami and so on, that, that all the floods that you see at the moment, for example, that there would be more use made of, of mobile phone footage from people who, who have been experiencing what's going on, but no, generally speaking, broadcasting, that doesn't happen. They only use the cruise material uh, and very rarely will use, uh, will use mobiles. Um, and the same was true of, of Channel 4, international violence and conflict at the bottom, um, and uh, international stories concerning individuals of the UK, also quite a large portion, and again, crime. So, so crime is a strong... A strong emphasis. We break up the, um, uh, by the way this is just a portion of the data we're still, we're still sort of crunching, there's a lot of data to get through so this is, this represents about uh, possibly a third of the total data so the proportions may change, uh, I don't think they will much um, as, as we complete the, um, the analysis um, but you can see here uh, violence conflict is uh, around 18% of the total what else is there? Crime is also around 18%. International stories concerning individuals outside the UK. Maybe a reflection of some of the, the big stories that, that were covered in those bulletins at that time, but, but quite a strong emphasis on particular uh, kinds of stories. I'll look at the the, the sources of the videos themselves, So um, and you can see that, roughly speaking, with all three channels, um, the studio represents about half of the, of the time of a news bulletin with videos representing, I mean, uh, two thirds for, uh, for video and one third for studio time, roughly that's how the, the bulletins are, are roughly arranged. But you can see that the, the mobile and YouTube um, usage is very low for all of those, all of those channels. Um, and that's, I think, better illustrated by this one where the little slices indicate the use of mobile and YouTube footage in all three channels. and You can see it's between 1 and 2% of video is mobile phone. Now, I remember back how excited everybody was after mm-hmm. the London bombings and how this was the next big thing in journalism and it was going to change the whole uh, future of journalistic practice and um, a few years later we were still looking at mobile phone footage representing a very small proportion of broadcast content. <coughs> And there's an sort of even more stark demonstration of the, of the comparison. Which makes us wonder why that might be. Um, and I've got a couple of slides just go- suggesting reasons for that. One is you, you came into contact with, with the idea of verification uh, the BBC recently. It's very expensive and very difficult to verify the authenticity of video footage, particularly amateur footage that you've picked up from goodness knows where, and, and the illustration there is, I don't know if you remember this a couple of years ago, but um, ITV aired a program on the link between the IRA and Gaddafi, and they used this footage to prove, as part of the package, that this link existed. And that worked fine until... Uh, the owners of a, a gaming company spotted that, that, in fact, this footage was from their um, animated war game. Uh, and, uh, and it had nothing to do with the IRA or the or Gaddafi, but they were very flattered that it was, uh, it was demonstrated as such. It has a helicopter crashing and all sorts of... And the, uh, the commentary says, but don't worry, no one was killed in this, uh, in a, in this event. And... Um, Ofcom gave a very stern warning to, to the ITV about that, and also about another video they used in the same program, which was also misrepresented, and there, there are lots of examples of, uh, of video not being correctly identified and verified, and of course that, that's a major challenge. Um, I don't know whether you had a chance at the UGC to hear how they, they verify user-generated content, but it's detective work, you know, they, they call around, it's meant to try to speak to the producer, you're meant to try to look at Google Map to see where they were at the time, what's the weather like mm-hmm. as a whole, and that's very expensive to do that, particularly if you've got, you know, 100,000 videos coming in every six months. So, um, so there are real challenges with, with making sure that this is authentic and true material that, you know, hasn't been shot by your own, your own staff. You've seen also, I mean, if you all put our mobile phones on the table, you'd see that there are lots of different uh, makes and styles and they've all got different um, apps on them and the uploading is different depending where you are on the world and more or less expensive and um, so there, there are a lot of complexities around integrating all this stuff uh, for one newsroom, for example, um, not only not only getting it all into, into a system that's usable, but also uh, integrating it with editorial systems, which themselves are renowned for being inefficient at the best of times. Another reason for for the low level of use certainly in broadcasting might be uh, journalist resistance and that's also something I'd like to hear from you today. Um, Today's editorial, this is according to a paper um, from Martin which is listed on the last page, editorial employees on average are expected to produce three times as much as their counterparts 20 years ago. On top of all that they're now expected to be movie makers. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to, to interview someone while holding a phone above your head. It's, uh, it's not very easy to do, um, and it's distracting. Um, so there is some resistance to, to doing this. Um, there's resistance to learning new skills, as advantageous as it might be. It requires a change in the traditional ways of doing things, um, news conference and the placing of material, editing and so on, but also in the management of newsrooms. And, of course, there are substantial costs involved as... as cost-effective as the equipment might well be. Retraining of staff, uh, integration of new systems, and so on. Uh, Last page of of challenges. As I said earlier, you've got to get up close. We already know that that too many journalists are being killed in conflict situations every year. This is not going to be made easier if you have to go and stand in people's faces with a phone in your hand and do do the interview or take the picture that you might be able to shoot wearing that from behind a barricade somewhere. So it exposes journalists to risk. Uh, a couple of other uh, challenges to it. I've talked about about the, the, the multitude of devices and gadgets and the lack of universal standards. Um, it's also true that that while many people expected this um, outburst of, of sort of citizen creativity using this machine, using this material, that as things happen at the moment, the, that uh, a lot of the footage is being corralled basically into uh, platforms like iReport. In other words, that the traditional mainstream news organisations are again monopolising and, and constraining uh, the material that's being used and, and cherry-picking uh, the stuff that it likes. Um, in addition, as you saw earlier, quite an emphasis on conflict disaster and a reduction of international news and mobile phones seem in their own way to be contributing to that Um, and looking at the very low numbers the reality is that for most broadcasters this is just not uh, a significant uh, option for them even though they are spending quite a lot of money and do encourage UGC and so on um, as it stands very little uh, footage is actually used more often than not uh, stills are taken from uh, from videos and used behind the anchor to introduce stories. When they do show mobile phone footage, it's usually very briefly. So those, those are some significant challenges. So the impact on journalism practice of all this. Um, I do think that the, in the internet era, the, the, the sort of renewed emphasis on, on hyper-local and local news means that um, there will be a demand for, for this kind of, of material. And, uh, and that journalists will be increasingly expected to produce it, perhaps not as much in broadcasting, but increasingly so in the formerly uh, print organizations. There is something very attractive and interesting about, about this instantaneous uh, ability to capture a video of a breaking news event and, and put it up on, on news sites and on broadcast channels virtually as it happens. I mean, there's something even if the quality is rubbish. Um, people prefer to see, pre- prefer to see something uh, from the site than, than nothing or old file photographs. So, so there will continue to be this this interest. It's interesting because, um, in some ways, the, the arrival of this this equipment has turned journalism systems on their head a bit. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, the citizens there would be a story, you'd send along your. Um, your agency, whatever, they would give copy to the newspaper, the newspaper would publish it. With mobile phones it's the users who are often generating it, often going to the news organisations who are then distributing it to the, to the news agencies so that the whole cycle is being disrupted and, and changed um, as a result of, of this and um, Bivens talks about that as well in her paper. Oscar Westland, who is probably one of the best known um, scholars writing about mobile phone uh, at the moment, um, and of course the Scandinavian countries uh, are tended to be at the cutting edge of, of, uh, of developments here, speaks about, about how this kind of material and, and equipment has stimulated an expanded ubiquitous participatory and competitive media landscape. The, the, the rules have changed somehow as a result of, of what's come about. We know too, and I know quite a few of you are working on... Um, Sort of costs and business plan uh, type uh, projects uh, here. That digital revenue from from the digital uh, activities is rising in most media organisations, and it's got to be seen as a as a source of uh, of revenue and as as income. So, how to make the best of that? How to make the most of it? We know that that the integration and training aside, once you've got a journalist with a hundred dollars for that that equipment, a couple hundred more for the phone. Now that's, you compare that to the, the literally millions of pounds that were required for a, for a big video satellite truck to go out into the field not so long ago, and there's been a huge turnaround. And, and the potential is enormous to every, every journalist to have one of these while they're about it, shoot a few seconds of video, look at the Wall Street Journal. They don't do much editing. They just happen to be, if they happen to be there, they just shoot for 15 or 20 seconds, upload it, and it's just an extra value add onto the onto the website for people who are interested in seeing what's happening in that particular story. So it is a cost effective option. I don't think we're under any doubt as to how enthusiastic people are about video. See how many videos go viral. People love videos. They love watching videos, 4 billion videos viewed every day on YouTube, um, millions, hundreds of millions watching the, the tsunami videos in 2011. Um, as I was saying a bit earlier today, audio doesn't go viral, video does. So video people have an appetite for video. Um, and this providing interesting, uh, live, dramatic video uh, must be part of, the, of, of journalism's activities in the future because this is what people like and what they want and what they're doing. Um, people themselves are documenting what happens to them. Uh, and they accept that, that quality is going to be dodgy if it's taken by an amateur on site in the midst of something dramatic. You know, you're not going to expect perfect uh, portraiture and, and focuses if someone's running for their lives. So, uh, and there's a public understanding of that. So the quality issue falls away to some extent, such that, that uh, some scholars have even talked about how, how this has just become mainstream now, that it's actually so, uh, that the potential is such that it'll just become a part of what everybody has to do. Some of the uh, organizations, Miami Herald is is training people left, right and center, they're already publishing almost 20 pieces a week. Um, uh, A quote from the American Journalism Review, the change in the industry uh, right now is the most dramatic I've ever seen. Virtually every paper in the country, that's the US, if not diving head first, at least dipping their their toes into video. This idea of a digital journalist, something we certainly in Sterling, are interested in, and are, I think, in the middle of, of training at the moment, no one is more vital to the survival of the newspaper than these new visual journalists. So the, the, the era of print is finally dragged out of the past and, and, and given new life by, this, uh, by the entrance of, of digital uh, technology and digital journalists. And for some, the advent of video is a, is a terrific new career opportunity, particularly the, the youngsters coming through. And a couple of more broad sort of cultural observations, if you like, before I, before I close off. Um, that the, the mobile phone has been, has been identified as just being a very interesting cultural object, that people are using them in fascinating and interesting ways to network, to look for jobs, to create businesses, um, to capture events. Um, and it's been, some authors compare it to the Sony Walkman of, of a few decades ago, where everybody's got one and, and, and it's just part of, part of one's identity the um, historical conjunction in which notions about identity, individualism, lifestyle and sociality relate to technology and media practice. So this is an important phenomenon, um, however much it impacts on, on newsrooms. Um, made more important by the fact that the technology is improving all the time, that uh, that it can be upgraded using apps remotely, you don't have to go into a shop to get, to get your stuff upgraded, you can do it automatically. Um, that there's just enormous capacity for, for upgrading and innovation and change. And not only that, but we see more and more news products are involving multimedia. Um, there was an edition of Marie Claire that came out last year that was the first time a magazine had a full page video as, as a page of the magazine. Um, you're getting embedded barcodes that are being used to, to link people to, to websites and to, and to other visual media. So the, the, the lines between the media are blurring. Um, but what we do know is that people love to watch moving images, and that, that has to be part of part of our, our planning as, as media creators going forward. So last slide, just a, a couple of things to, to ponder. One I'd love to hear from, from you from all over the world that you are, and from different newsrooms doing different things, whether there's been any um, mobile phone training or, or content usage that's been discussed, so, so please let me know. Um, there are obstacles, major obstacles—technological, personal, <coughs> ethical questions. Are mm. they surmountable? Possibly, certainly. Broadcasters is, is battling, but it'd uh, uh, be interesting to hear what you thought. And uh, and what is important about, you know, does it matter that mobile phones are ploughing the new, the same furrow that, that, that the rest of us have ploughed for so long, emphasising violence and conflict and, and crime as being the staples of? Of the next century of journalism, just as it was of the last one, is that important, or or is it not? And thank you very much. Here are the resources.